We are Pod Jerky, two Canadian buddies serving up multi-flavored audio jerky in every episode. If you like good times, strong coffee, maple syrup, swamp donkeys, hockey, the outdoors, common sense, dogs, conspiracy theories, sports, and life in general, then subscribe and follow our podcast and check out our social media channel at Pod Jerky. Pod Jerky, make it a double. Some of the topics discussed on Blackbird, an advocacy podcast, may be difficult to hear. Listener discretion is advised. Happy Halloween to all our Blackbirds out there. Happy Halloween. Woo! It's my favorite holiday. So tonight you're getting a special bonus Blackbird episode because we want to tell you a Halloween horror story but with our Blackbird twist. I am, of course, your host, Sarah, and with me is my ghostly co-host, or my co-ghost. Ah. So then that would make me your ghost, Sarah. Hello. And my co-ghost, Dan. Hello. <laughs> All right, I don't think we have much news for everybody, so we're just going to get into the Halloween tale. On Halloween night, 2011, police and paramedics were called to a home on the 7100 block of Winchester Avenue in West Englewood, Chicago, Illinois. When police arrived, they found the homeowner, Liddell Peoples, standing outside on his front porch. Officer John Davidson asked what had happened, to which Peoples responded, That bitch is crazy. She threw a plate at my head. The Chicago Fire Department ambulance commander, Michael Nolan, and his partner entered the home to find Maria Adams, a friend of Peoples, face down in the kitchen, lying in a pool of blood. She was unresponsive and had a weak pulse. Upon turning her over, Commander Nolan found multiple lacerations and puncture wounds to her face and hands. The wounds were actively bleeding. Maria was immediately transported to the hospital for emergency care. Trauma surgeon Dr. Andrew Dennis was in charge of Maria's case. When she arrived, she was unconscious unable to breathe on her own, and had significant blood loss. She had over 20 stab wounds and lacerations. She also suffered blunt force trauma to her head, and hematomas were found under her scalp. She also showed evidence of defensive wounds on her hands and fingers, as if she had put her hands up during the attack. Maria never regained consciousness, and was pronounced dead five days later. Assistant medical examiner Dr. Ariel Goldschmidt performed the autopsy on Maria and testified in court that he had found over 28 wounds on her body. He explained she had 10 stab wounds to the scalp, 
hands, and forearms, 18 incise wounds to the face, and multiple superficial incise wounds to the face, hands, and arm, indicating she was stabbed as well as slashed multiple times by a sharp weapon. Maria also sustained brain hemorrhaging as well as injuries to the underside of her scalp. This trauma was consistent with being stabbed or stomped on the head. Dr. Goldschmidt explained that Maria's cause of death was cerebral edema and brain defect. The manner of death was ruled a homicide. Peoples was arrested on scene for attempted first-degree murder and domestic battery, but after further investigation and the ruling of Dr. Goldschmidt, his charges were raised to first-degree murder. You know, that would be associated with blunt force trauma. So she actually didn't die from getting cut. She got, she died from getting hit. That sucks. Right. The ME did say that it could have been consistent with stabbing her in the head also. Because the way that he could have hit her could have made more like chop wounds, which would cause both like a stab and a, and a blunt force. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I mean, when we think about it, she sustained all of these stab wounds and possibly could have lived, depending on how much blood loss there actually was. Right. Because by the time she got to the hospital, she had lost a lot of blood, but we don't know how much that was. And was it enough to save her if they had given her a blood transfusion versus, you know, obviously what she sustained in the in the brain? Right. So... Right. I mean, even if, even had she survived, she, she would have had brain damage for sure. Yeah. From, from that level of trauma. Yeah. I mean, he cut her face. I mean, there really wasn't much attack to her body. It was her face and her head and then her hands because she was, you know, putting her hands up for, you know, defense. But it was really, it was all centered around an area that's extremely vulnerable yeah yeah so i mean he he just pounded on her head which is something that i've never really understood and i know i've talked about this before but like you know i i get that when you're in a a, a combat situation you know you've got to you've got to do stuff you've got to hurt the other person and and, and okay so you got to throw a couple punches you got to throw a couple kicks maybe you got to do some other stuff that's fine but i've never really been able to wrap my head around the idea of just beating someone's head and face you know until they die or someone pulls you off of them you know and that's that's one of the big things about like mma is like i i I get it like you're getting into the ring you're a professional fighter you're taking the risk and you know i i could i could be okay with that like psychologically i get the idea you that, sign like, okay, up for it you know yeah, what you you're sign in up for. for it you know yeah. i i could be like okay here i am you know this is what we're doing it's i gotta hurt this guy or he's gonna hurt me whatever it is what it is um but like you know there there's a there's a meta in mma right now where when you get the person down you're supposed to just start beating on their face and head um and Again, I get it. That's that's part of the sport, but like I would be, I don't know how I would feel about that. Like, you know, if if I'm winning a fight and I've got the person to that point where it's like, okay, now it's now it's where I'm just supposed to 
smash my fist into his head over and over again, I'd be like, I'd be a little weirded out by that. Yeah. Like, I'd be fine with kicking someone in the head while they're standing and breaking their bones and blood all over the place. It's what it is. It's a combat sport. But, like, when I got to that point, I'd be like, I don't really know how I feel about this. Like, clearly... I've won. Can we just call it? Exactly. And I was just going to say, at that point, it's not even a fair fight anymore. So why are you continuing to go at that person? At that point, it's 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 not just a sport. It's it's violence. Yeah. And I mean, people would argue that, like, well, you have to finish the fight because, you know, once the person is down, if you call the fight, then they can recollect themselves and, and come back and potentially win the fight. But like, Let's be honest, like, that's a pretty rare chance. If you watch other sports where there is a break in the action once a person's shoulder blades touch the ground and they both go back to their corners and they get some water and they get psyched back up and then they get back in the fight, how often does the person who 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 first clearly takes that big hit come back and win the fight? Sure, it's happened every now and then, but 90% of the time, there's a moment in every combat sport, every match of combat sport, where you see one thing happen and you're like, oh, that's it. Right. And yeah, 10% of the time or less, maybe that person comes back and like, oh my God, what a great fight. But like, is it worth the other 90% of the times having to do all this extra damage just for that 10% chance that it comes back and, and sells a billion pay-per-views? Like, I don't think so. Right. You know, as someone, again, who has been a competitive fighter and who's watched a decent amount of combat sports, there's a moment where you know exactly who's going to win the fight in yeah. a fight. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, especially in something like MMA, where fights are principally de- determined by doing damage you know there there are some boxing matches that are really about endurance and so you never know who's going to get too tired first but in mma in particular like it's about that one big hit right that one guy who manages to slip that roundhouse to the other guy's head and it's like oh that's it you see the legs wobble you see the person stumble back against the cage and it's like that's the loser right there yeah well in this case we're gonna actually get into what the motive was so you'll you'll hear why he did Mm. what he did and it is no, by no means a justification. No, there's and and that's kind of what I'm getting at too. Is there really is no justification? Like even if Sarah and I are out at dinner and we get jumped by somebody, I'm definitely gonna try to hurt that person to prevent us from getting hurt. But even in that case, where I'm 100% in the right, I'm not justified in just pounding this person's head until they die. That's the blackbirds. Our kitties are giving us great Halloween sound effects. <laughs> Oh, that was the cat scratching? (laughs) Oh, it sounded like birds scratching. No, she was scratching the wall. Thank you, Isa. Oh, by the way, today is our two black cats birthday. So, happy birthday to our demons. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah, there's no justification no. ever. I don't even I don't even care. No. And but some people are going to argue with that. Oh, well, you know, if a guy goes after my wife and kids, I'm going to beat him to death. Like, why would you want to beat someone to death? That is not a thing. Like, yes, you hurt them. You stop them. You save your family and yourself. And that's great. I can get behind that. But, like, why do you want to pound someone until they're dead? Right. It's just something wrong with you. I'm sorry. The, the, it's not. <laughs> the human race is the only species on Earth that fights for fights or kills is is violent i will say is violent for anything other than survival except for dolphins Ugh! don't even get me started dolphins dolphins Dolphins? i don't want to go into a far of a tangent (laughs) 
But if you're ever bored and you want to have your mind blown, the cutest animals on Earth are the only ones as violent and terrible as human beings. Because, and this is unfortunate to say, but... Intelligence. They, exactly. They're intelligent enough to be like, hey, I like to do awful things. Yep. Yep. Ugh. Do not Google anything that has to do with dolphins and violence, please, because you're just you're going to go down a huge rabbit hole and it's going to be horrible and it's just going to ruin dolphins for you. Yeah. God. Anyway. So on to the motive. Yes. Following people's arrest, he was asked to make a statement regarding the events that transpired on October 31st. So this is now just after the event took place. So this is before she passed in the hospital. He said he had met Maria in 2007 and she would occasionally spend the night at his home. He would provide her with money and gifts in exchange for sex, but they were not in any sort of romantic relationship. So there were some articles that called her an acquaintance. There were some articles that called her a friend. And there were some articles that called her his girlfriend. The appeal, where I'm getting all this information, called her his girlfriend. However, according to him, there was technically no actual romantic relationship and that she was providing sex work for him. Like, for him, not, like, in a sex trafficking thing. Like, he wasn't her pimp or anything, but she would have sex with him. He was her him. client. Yeah, was, essentially. Was he paying her? Yeah, he would pay her in, oh. in gifts and, and money and stuff. And, and for a well, place Well, like, to in stay. money, they would exchange cash? Mm-hmm. Okay, so then, yeah, there's no yeah. girlfriend or acquaintance situation. Right, exactly. She's a prostitute and he's her client. Exactly, yeah. Uh, so, on Halloween night... Peoples noticed a bag of Halloween candy had gone missing. Assuming Maria had stolen from him in the past, he confronted her about the missing bag of candy. She denied having taken it, but Peoples claimed he had found it in her coat pocket, which angered him. He claims this is when Maria threw the plate at him, which angered him more, and he began to approach her. He says Maria grabbed two steak knives, but he was able to get them away from her by wrestling her to the ground. He began to swing the knives at her, aiming for her face, but getting her in her arms and hands as well. He stopped when she slumped over and became unresponsive to his attack. But he then grabbed her by the hair and slammed her head into the floor three times. He then stomped on her back and head. After this, he went to a drawer to grab the, quote, biggest knife he could and poked her with it to see if she would respond. She did not. He then put the knives in the sink, got dressed, and called 911. That's that's effed up, man. All over a bag of Halloween candy. That's effed up. That is just effed up. And on so many levels. Mm -hmm. He had also said that he contemplated contemplated hiding her body so that they couldn't trace it back to him. So he assumed she was dead. Right. He also was aiming for her eyes, he said, when he was stabbing her. So... 
had he actually gotten her in the eye, he could have immediately punctured her brain. Yeah. And killed her. Yeah. So how were you not thinking this was leading to death? Yeah. And I mean, as soon as he made the decision to go on the offensive, you are now at fault. You are now in the wrong. It's one thing to like... You know, it's one thing to throw something back at her. She's throwing crap at you. I mean, first of all, you should just leave. But if you can't, for whatever reason, it's one thing to throw something back at this other person to try to make them stop. Yeah. Uh, And it's another, it's one thing to have to wrestle them to the ground, which, I mean, only do that if you absolutely have to. If you've got knives and you're coming at me, I'm not going to get anywhere the hell near you. I don't want to get cut. Don't get cut. You can bleed a lot and it's bad for you. So that's one thing. Like, okay, you went in there and, and tackled this person down. But as soon as you make the decision to start swinging the knives, you're now a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. And I don't care that this person was trying to kill you. I don't care. Yeah. It's not like somebody pulls a gun out, starts shooting at you, and you pull your gun out and shoot back at them. Mm-hmm. It, it's like them pulling a gun out, shooting at you running out of ammo, throwing the gun away, and then you pulling your gun out and shooting them. That is wrong. It's wrong in New York State. (laughs) And it's just wrong, period. There's a difference between responding with force necessary to prevent harm to yourself and using force not necessary. Excessive force. Right. Yep. And as soon as you've stopped a threat, that's when you need to stop. And I'm not just trying to be some kind of d-bag social justice warrior like oh he's wrong about that like i'm serious yeah if i'm in some kind of altercation i'm going to try to stop the person from hurting me and my loved ones and that's about it and that's your right and that's about it mm-hmm. if i've got somebody pinned onto the ground i'm gonna say somebody please call the police now i'm right. sure it's already happened but please somebody call the police right I'm gonna. I'm not gonna be like oh because this person tried to harm me i have to harm them back like, right no you don't you have to stop yourself from being harmed. Yes. That's about it. That's ex- exactly. So once he got the knives away from her. He should not That's about have... it. Especially because, and again, I'm not trying to be some kind of social justice warrior here. And I'm not trying to be some like pro, I'm not trying to be some chauvinist here. But like typically men are larger and stronger than females on average. Right. So as a man, if a woman attacks you and you've got her under control it's pretty easy to keep her under control again on average you know if ronda rousey wanted to destroy me (laughs) she could destroy me with both hands tied behind her back but if the average random drunk girl at a bar attacks me i'm pretty sure i can get control of her and then i can simply hold the situation where it is and this just goes for anyone who is larger than the person right. who has come to attack them. Right. The, but I'm just I'm just trying to say in their case, yes. I'm assuming that he was more physically capable than she was. Right. Maybe she's an MMA fighter. I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. Doubtful. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is that he had the option to just yeah. contain the situation. Correct. He made the decision to use deadly force Correct. and then just keep going with it. And not only did he already have two knives that he was stabbing her with, he then went to get an even bigger right. knife. Right. Right. To poke to her do with more to see with. if she was alive. Like, yeah. no, you can just... 
Like there are other ways that you can first determine of all, life. You already had knives with you. If you were planning to use th- use this weapon, this type of weapon, why do you need to go find another one that's even larger unless you were planning to do more damage? Right. Like it, it, there there's no justification for what happened. Yeah. None. So at trial, people's claimed it was self-defense. And that he did not intend to murder Maria. He claimed he was falling in love with her. An expert witness for the defense, Dr. Robert Hanlon, a neuropsychologist, had diagnosed people with schizoaffective disorder, paranoid schizophrenia, and a cognitive disorder. But that he was fit to stand trial. In no way was this meant to show insanity at the time of the attack, but it was a tactic to try to sway the jury to believe these mental illnesses were what caused these events to take place, which would lessen his charge from first to second degree murder. The trial court judge did not allow this into testimony, citing it as an attempt to raise the defense of diminished capacity. Fortunately, the jury found that peoples performed acts that were intended to kill, do great bodily harm, or create a strong possibility of death or great bodily harm, and that peoples did so without lawful justification. And that is what the Illinois law for first degree murder states. He in turn was convicted of two counts of first degree murder and was sentenced to 30 years in prison. Peoples appealed his conviction, of course, stating that he does not believe the sentence is appropriate for a man his age. He was in his 50s at the time of the incident and would be in his 80s at the time of his release. His team claimed this essentially meant life in prison. Right. Well, considering that you killed someone, yes, that's what you get. Yep. The team also claimed on appeal that the trial court erred in not allowing Dr. Hanlon's diagnostic testimony in at trial. However, earlier this year, Judge Nira Lal Walsh affirmed the lower court sentencing requirement of 30 years. He will be up for release in what we expect to be 2041, if his trial was indeed 2011. I actually couldn't find what year his trial was. So if it was 2011, 2012, 2013, he'll be released around. It's going to be a minute. In the the 2040s. Um, But he'll be in his 80s. He could potentially die in prison. Right. Um, Yeah. And here's the thing about... about uh, mental illness as a legal defense. A mental illness should not preclude you from being sentenced for exactly what you did. What it should do is change the way that your sentence is carried out. So if I legitimately am just straight up nuts and I commit a murder, I should still get charged with murder. But instead of being put in general population in a prison... I should be sent to a facility which can evaluate me and try to understand, and I'm going to use this term very loosely, rehabilitate or fix. And yes, that's a very loose usage of the word. But but in an ideal world, let's say, right, 
I should go to some kind of facility where they could literally fix the thing that they have definitively diagnosed. A forensic psychiatric facility. Right. Yes. Um, you know, and again, I'm, I'm speaking about an ideal world, right? I should get the charge. I should go to a facility. They should scan my brain and, and bombard it with delta waves or whatever and fix the problem that's in my brain. And then there should be an evaluation that definitively determines that the diagnosis has resolved at which point there would be some kind of, and again, I'm speaking in very loose terms and in, in an ideal world here, this is not the world we live in, no. where, you know, then you could reevaluate my ability to rejoin society. But today in the world that we live in now, where we can't just fix right. schizophrenia and, you know, or whatever disorder it may be, there should be, you, you get murder in the first degree. You yes. committed murder in the first degree. You knowingly and willfully with excessive force ended a person's life right. through significant violence. You are now done being in society. Right. That That's it. But instead of just being like, oh, well, because you were of some kind of, some level of diminished capacity, we're, we're going to put you into the same punishment that you would have gotten otherwise, but just for less time. Like, how does that make any sense? That doesn't make any sense. And the thing... It should be the same amount of time. Yes. And there should be a different treatment because you're yes. a different kind of person. The thing is, though, I don't want our listeners to confuse, because you did mention diminished capacity. I don't want our um, our listeners to confuse having a mental illness with with diminished capacity. They're not the same. Um a diminished capacity defense means that you literally at the time of the offense, you did not understand what you were doing. You had a diminished capacity. If you have something like paranoid schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder or something like that, you did not necessarily have diminished capacity. They have to prove that at the time of the offense, you had some sort of um, blackout or psychosis, um, something that lit literally means that you did not realize you were committing the offense you were committing. So I don't want them, I don't want our listeners to just think that mental illness equates to diminished capacity because it doesn't. Um, having a mental illness does not mean that you are going to be a violent person. Having a mental illness does not mean that you are going to be able to put up the defense of insanity or a diminished capacity uh, defense. Generally speaking, they try to put up information about mental illness so that it does sway the jury to believe that there possibly was diminished capacity, but I don't want you all to think that that is what ex what it means, especially if you are going to sit on a jury for a criminal trial. Um, you need to understand that they are different. And hopefully a judge in that um, trial will inform the jury that they are completely different things. So I just, I just want to make that clear because you did mention diminished capacity. So I just, I just want to make that clear. My bad. No, it's okay. I just... I said some level of. Yes, you did. I knew I'm sorry. that was going to be the problem. I'm sorry. The law student in me had to come out. I'm sorry. Yeah, legalese is annoying because... <laughs> legalese is annoying. <laughs> technically, if you're just going to go grammatically, diminished capacity is any time that you can't 
do as much as you would have done Correct. otherwise. That's what yeah. the words diminished in capacity mean. Yes. But legalese is annoying. It is. <laughs> it is. But it's... It, that's dimin why... Diminished that's... capacity could also mean that you, you know, you have some sort of um, cognitive disorder or, mm -hmm. or a, a potentially a learning disability or a, neuro, um, a neurological disorder that just does not put you in the same frame of mind during the offense as what a like no quote-unquote normal healthy brain would be in at that time it's... yeah this is why schooling needs to include legal education because the legal system in your country your state whatever is binding on you like ultimately binding on you like if you break a law and get caught you're suffering the penalty is as prescribed by the law correct and yet 95 percent of people have no idea what 99% of the laws which are binding on them are. Ignorance of the law is, is not, not a, defense, a defense. Despite the fact that it is so powerful over mm -hmm. you. So basic education, like everywhere on the planet, but especially here in the U.S. where our legal system is ridiculous, really needs to make an appearance. We need to, people need to come into the adult world knowing a lot more yeah. <laughs> about what you can and can't do. Yes, it's true. <laughs> you know. But um, in this case, the judge made the decision to not allow the testimony of that neuropsychologist in to, to tell the jury that people had mental illnesses. Because he knew that telling the jury that this man had schizoaffective disorder and paranoid schizophrenia was going to make the jury believe that meant at the time of the offense he was at a diminished capacity which is not what that is that's not he wasn't putting that defense up in the first place and the judge was like I'm, we're not having that no that's that's garbage so he um or she no he yeah he i don't know who the trial judge was um, essentially throughout that testimony and didn't allow the jury to hear it. Um, which good on, on that judge, because again, it, it, having a mental illness does not bar you from paying the consequences of your crime. You know, if he literally had some sort of psychotic break at the time that he was killing her and after the fact the police come and they're like what happened and he was like i have no idea that that's a course to go on of potentially diminished capacity at the time of the offense but the fact that the police came and asked him you know what happened and he was like oh she's a crazy bitch she threw a plate at me clearly <laughs> and you got dressed right. after right. Right. and you were planning to hide the body right. you knew what you did right exactly so there's no diminished capacity right garbage right and yeah i mean just to expand on that a little bit like when you were talking about you know if you get there and the person seems to have blacked out and honestly have no idea in that ideal world that i was talking about again you would be able to form a definitive diagnosis immediately because what people will say is like oh yeah i'm she said he blacked out but how do we know and that's the problem with um is we just don't have the level of technology or understanding to be able to say whether or not someone really did black out i mean it's 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 unfortunately it's up to a how good of a liar the person is and b how good of a detective 
the detectives are to see potentially through any kind of lie. Um, it's the same thing with proving intent. There are a lot, there's a lot in the U.S. legal system that can go one of two ways based on intent. And unfortunately, we don't have a scanner that can say, yup, you meant to do it. So it's up to, unfortunately, this battle between the the one who committed the crime and the ones who are trying to prosecute it or investigate it to determine if there was or was not intent there. And many in an internet argument have have been had about what exactly intent means. And unfortunately, it's a pretty gray area. And intent when it comes to criminal versus civil is completely different also because it's very difficult to prove intent, as Dan is mentioning. In a civil suit, intent is what the is what the plaintiff believes. So it's not actually what the defendant intended to do. It's what the plaintiff believed the defendant intended to do. So if it's a case of, you know, something like menacing, but you're in you're in civil, it's not a criminal case. And somebody felt so assault. Um, assault in civil. The plaintiff felt fear and they believed that they were in fear for their life, that this defendant was going to act out their threat. Even if the defendant didn't mean that they were going to act out their threat and they were just saying things, they were just threatening them with words, that's not a defense. Because the intent was taken by the plaintiff. And that's what the case would be based on. That's what the intent would be based on. What the plaintiff felt in the situation. In a criminal case, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that there was, I mean, depending on what the degree of the charge is, that there was intent behind it. And proving intent in a criminal case is the most difficult thing. The most difficult thing. Unless you literally have a cut and dry where, you know, it, say in this case where people said to somebody the morning of, I'm going to kill her tonight. <laughs> and that, you know, obviously there's your intent. There's your, your premeditation. But otherwise, you can't, it, it's very, very difficult to prove intent in a, in a criminal case. So looking at it from two different arenas also makes it very difficult to understand the legalese again. It's the legalese is it's a difficult subject and it's an annoying subject and but he was convicted and sentenced and he is in jail, prison. Unfortunately, again, someone had to die over a bag of candy. So happy Halloween to everyone. Mm. So no candy this year. If you're getting candy today, um, make sure that it's wrapped like, 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 not just like an individual wrapping, but like, um, like a sealed wrapping. Mm -hmm. My advice would be just, just don't. Well, I mean, yeah, my advice is. There's a pandemic. Yeah. You can go one year. Yeah. You know, (laughs) have, have, have your kids do. A Halloween candy hunt around your house or whatever it is. Yeah, that's you know? fun. Like, don't don't go to strangers' houses. And it doesn't even matter if they're, like, good friends and your neighbor that you hang out with all the time. Like, don't. Just don't. 
Just go one year. It's not the end of the freaking world. I mean, literally what can happen is a child comes to that neighbor's house, ha- has the virus, hands it off to that neighbor, and then that neighbor who you trust, who you think is doing good, then hands it off to your child. And every other child that every, goes to that house. Right. So, so it, it just because you trust the person doesn't mean that they are taking all of the pro i mean i i highly doubt everybody's going to be hand sanitizing after every single person that comes to their house especially not the six-year-olds no <laughs> like the six-year-olds are not sanitizing their hands no i i don't care if you brought the bottle of sanitizer and you think it's happening it's not happening also if you think that your child's gloves for their costume are going to protect them that's also incorrect so right. Just because they're wearing gloves with their costume doesn't mean that they're going to. Yeah. Can we just? Yeah. Can we just chill for one year, please? I know. Dress up in costume, take pictures, and yeah, like Dan said, I like the idea of just doing like a candy hunt around the house, like an Easter egg hunt. Yeah, exactly. I like it. All right. Also, vote on November third. You should have already voted if you're in an area with available absentee or early voting. Also. You can vote at other places, too. I thought that that was a neat thing. I don't know if that's new to this election or if you've been able to do this all along. But I know for a fact that for this election, there are other... You don't have to go to that one place that always has the huge line. You can go to, like, Knights of Columbus Halls. So it's because of the early voting that they're doing this year. Which is great. Um, I don't believe you can do it on, on election day. I think it's... You have to go to your district um your polling place in your district but there are some locations that are allowing like so okay we live in suffolk county new york what they were allowing for early voting here is you didn't have to go to your district polling place they actually had the ballots from all the districts all the different districts in the county from the whole county in each of the polling places for early voting so you could go to any single one of them in in the county and when they called your district, you then get the ballot for your specific district. So they had the ballots already set from all districts in this county. So if you live in a county that's doing that, check. Because you you don't necessarily, like Dan said, have to go to a place that has a long line. You can figure out a place that maybe not many people are going because they think that they have to go to specific polling places. And then you can vote there. Um it seems the lines are potentially dying down, although it is the weekend again. So who knows if they've picked back up? Um, and who really knows what's going to happen on election day with with the the lines? I mean, it could it could be that the lines are going to be super short because everyone voted already, or the lines are going to be super long because everyone assumed everyone voted already right, <laughs> is now right. coming out. Right. It's like when you go to the airport at 6 a.m. because no one's going to be there, but everyone but went everyone at 6 a.m. because no one's going to be there. Exactly. That's why you go to the airport at 2 in the afternoon because no one's there. Exactly. So, um, you know, if you haven't voted already, then vote on November 3rd, please. Um, exercise your right. And um, hopefully we get the outcome that we need. On, on Tuesday. And Hopefully you get the outcome that you want. I know what outcome I want. I think everybody knows what outcome we want. But we're not a political channel, so we're not telling you 
what to do. No. We're just saying if you participate in the process, you might just get what you wanted, even if you're wrong. <laughs> Again, I think the majority of our listeners are on the same yeah. side of the yeah. political aisle as us. So, yeah, that's it. Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween! Oh, my scary co-ghost. Happy Halloween. Oh. That's supposed to be, like, ghoulish? Like, zombie-ish? Yeah. Happy Halloween! That was a terrible zombie. That's okay. No, that was pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't see me making faces. I was making zombie faces to try to get into character. (laughs) Happy Halloween! I don't even know what that was. <laughs> that was an old man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a creepy old man. Creepy old man. <laughs> Alright, All right, so um, if you or anyone you know has a story that you would like to share on Blackbird, you can email us at blackbirdadvocacy at gmail.com. You can find all of our social medias, including our Instagram at Blackbird Advocacy, or all of our podcast platforms that you can listen to us and subscribe to us on at our link tree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Blackbird Advocacy. We will see you tomorrow for a regular episode of Blackbird, and we hope that you enjoyed this bonus episode for Halloween. Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween, everyone. Stay six feet away from everyone, please. Okay, bye. Hey, everyone. I am Nick. And I'm Russ. And if you're looking for a podcast about current events that's well-informed, highly educated, and safe to share with your whole family, that's not us. Nope, it's not. But here at the Nick and Russ Don't Know Anything podcast, we have an opinion about everything and don't mind sharing it. That we do. New episodes every Wednesday and Saturday. Check us out at nickandrust.com. And find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more, including YouTube. Thank you, and I love you all. Mwah!